Hey, it's Gabe. I want to recommend a podcast I think you'll enjoy called What Could Go Right. On What Could Go Right, the hosts, Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varva-Lucas, sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues. They look back at how far society has come and look forward to what it will take to achieve a brighter future. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, listen to What Could Go Right wherever you get your podcasts. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com slash consulting. IBM. Let's create. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey guys, I hope you enjoy these classic episodes from the TDI HC Vault. Be sure to join me again on January 2nd when we return with all new episodes. Talk to you soon. Welcome to This Day in History class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson, and it's January 1st. Happy New Year. Lorenzo de' Medici was born on this day in 1449. The Medici family of Florence was rich and powerful. They had come to Florence sometime in the 12th century, although they had started out as just simple Tuscan peasants. But over a couple hundred years, they became incredibly wealthy and powerful. By the middle of the 14th century, they were one of Florence's leading families. And they also had a reputation for being extremely adept at negotiating in the worlds of both politics and money. And this was through legitimate means as well as through things like bribery. Lorenzo de' Medici was described as the most Medici of the Medici. He was nicknamed Lorenzo the Magnificent. He's been described as the most powerful, the most famous, the most brilliant, the most influential in the world of art, thanks to his patronage, and the most ruthless. He came to power in Florence along with his brother in 1469 after the death of their father, and the two of them were ruling together. And nine years later, there was a conspiracy to assassinate both of them and to take control of the Republic of Florence away from the Medici. This was called the Pazzi Conspiracy. The Pazzi and the Medici were basically rival families within Florence. One of the things that had led to this whole rivalry in the conspiracy was that the Pazzi family had taken over the financial affairs of the papacy, and that was taking business away from the Medici, which the Medici did not appreciate. The ringleader in this conspiracy was Francesco de Pazzi, and he wasn't the patriarch of the Pazzi family, but he was the one that was driving all of this. 
The assassination was finally set to take place during Easter Mass in 1478, and Lorenzo's brother, Giuliano, was killed, but Lorenzo escaped. Afterward, though, Lorenzo sought retribution against all of his conspirators. There was a lot of hanging people, a lot of throwing them out windows, a lot of dismemberments. Overall, it was very gruesome, and there were more than 70 executions of purported co-conspirators. This whole incident, though, really shaped Lorenzo's future. It meant that his brother was dead, so he was on his own in terms of his leadership at the Republic, and it had also gotten rid of a lot of their detractors, and it demonstrated the links that he would go to. So after this whole conspiracy and the war that followed, um, he really had the support of a lot of the people of Florence. He ruled almost as a monarch, although Lorenzo really liked to describe himself as just a highly respectable citizen, not anything special. He and others in the family also acted as patrons to writers and artists and architects, including people like Botticelli and Leonardo da Vinci, among many others. There was also, of course, Michelangelo, who was brought up partially in the Medici household. Lorenzo de Medici was also a collector of antiquities and of artwork. Basically, what they were doing, they couldn't really afford to pay for the most extravagant, biggest-name artwork, so they would find lesser-known, undiscovered talent and sort of cultivate them by their work for cheap. It's not, however, totally accurate to say that the Medici family single-handedly paid for the Renaissance. Sometimes they are described that way. Lorenzo was also a poet himself, in addition to his patronage of other artists. By the 1490s, though, Lorenzo's health was declining. The city of Florence was also becoming less and less enamored with the lifestyle that he had enabled and encouraged. This was a lifestyle that was just full of lavish festivals and extravagance. He died at the age of only 43. His son Giovanni later became Pope Leo X. You can learn more about this in the Stuff You Missed in History Class episode, Death at the Duomo, the Pazzi Conspiracy, from March 31st, 2010. Thanks to Casey Pegram and Chandler Mays for their audio work on this show. You can subscribe to This Day in History class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And you can tune in tomorrow for a discovery, kind of. What are you looking for in a new smart TV? 4K picture quality? High quality and immersive sound? A sleek design? All of those are givens, but only the new Roku Pro Series has all of those and the Roku Streaming Experience, an award-winning OS. Get fast, easy access to all your apps like iHeart, where you can stream all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts all day, and regular all-inclusive trips to Roku City. The new Roku Pro Series, a smart TV built by the streaming pros. Hello, I'm Dr. Michael Mosley. And I want to let you know about my new immersive BBC Radio 4 podcast series, Deep Calm. It's all about how to tap into and activate a remarkable system that we all have hardwired inside of us, our relaxation response. And it's been developed to be listened to at any time you want to really unwind. I hope you'll listen wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code, a lot of code. 
If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash codeassistant. IBM. Let's create. Hey, y'all. Happy New Year. I'm still at home, but I am excited to bring you the first episode of a new decade. Enjoy. The day was January 1st, 1818. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, or The Modern Prometheus, was first published. At a young age, Mary had taken an interest in writing stories, but her childhood and early adult years were tumultuous. Less than two weeks after she was born, her mother, writer and women's rights advocate Mary Wollstonecraft, died of puerperal fever. When Mary was 16 years old, she eloped with the wealthy writer Percy Bysshe Shelley, who abandoned his wife. She gave birth to four children, but only one survived to adulthood, and she miscarried during her fifth pregnancy. In 1816, Mary's sister, Fanny Goodwin, as well as Percy's wife, Harriet Shelley, died by suicide. Mary was inspired to write Frankenstein on a rainy June night in 1816, 1816 is known as the year without a summer, since it was marked by low temperatures, high rainfall, and crop failures around the world attributed to the eruption of Mount Tambora in the Dutch East Indies. History of a Six Weeks Tour, a travel narrative by Mary and Percy published in 1817, contains letters written during their time in Geneva during that summer. In the letters, Mary writes about the dark and rainy weather, Her journey through France and Switzerland provided the perfect setting for writing a Gothic story. Mary was in Lake Geneva, Switzerland with Percy, as well as poet Lord Byron and physician and writer John Polidori. The group was reading a French translation of a German book of ghost stories called Phantasmagoriana at the Villa Diodati, the house where they would have spirited late night discussions. When Byron suggested they see who could write the best ghost story, they took on the challenge. Polidori ended up writing The Vampire, which was published three years later. But the competition also marked the birth of Frankenstein. One night, after one of the group's philosophical discussions, Mary could not sleep. She later wrote about the restless night. She said, quote, I saw the pale student of the unhallowed arts kneeling beside the thing he had put together. I saw the hideous phantasm of a man stretched out, and then, on the working of some powerful engine, show signs of life and stir with an uneasy, half-vital motion. Frightful must it be, for supremely frightful would be the effect of any human endeavor to mock the stupendous mechanism of the creator of the world. It was the origin of her story, one about a scientist named Victor Frankenstein who created an eight-foot-tall creature made of the body parts of dead people. Percy encouraged Mary to turn the story into a novel, and she finished writing the book by May of 1817. Frankenstein, or The Modern Prometheus, was first published anonymously in London as a three-volume novel on January 1st, 1818. The book is a combination of a gothic horror story and science fiction. 
In it, Frankenstein's nameless monster turns into a murderer who is tortured by loneliness and rejection. The first edition of the novel contained a preface written by Percy Shelley. In fact, when it was published, many people thought that Percy Shelley had written it. Another edition of the novel, credited to Mary Shelley and edited by her father, was published several years later. In 1831, the first one-volume edition of the book was published. Shelley wrote several more novels, but Frankenstein is her best-known book. Frankenstein has since become the inspiration for stories about morality, human hubris, and scientists and the implications of their creations. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. Feel free to shoot us an email at thisday at iheartmedia.com, or if you prefer social media, hit us up on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. Hello, iHeart listener. We have a confession to make. Both iHeart and this commercial you're listening to right now would probably sound a heck of a lot better on the new Roku Pro Series TV. It's got side-firing speakers that fill your room with sound, Dolby Atmos audio that puts you right in the middle of the entertainment, and the ability to pair seamlessly with your home theater sound systems that already have surround sound and booming bass. If all that sounds too good to be true, it'll sound even better on the new Roku Pro Series. Your hearing isn't better. Your TV is. Hello, I'm Dr. Michael Mosley, and I want to let you know about my new immersive BBC Radio 4 podcast series, Deep Calm. It's all about how to tap into and activate a remarkable system that we all have hardwired inside of us, our relaxation response. And it's been developed to be listened to at any time you want to really unwind. I hope you'll listen wherever you get your BBC podcasts. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com slash consulting. IBM. Let's create. Happy New Year, and welcome to this day in history class, a show that belts out the greatest hits of history one day at a time. I'm Gabe Luzier, and today we're talking about the concert that turned Johnny Cash into a champion of prison reform and set one talented inmate on his own path to country music fame. The day was January 1st, 1959. Musician Johnny Cash rang in the new year by performing live at San Quentin State Prison in California. The maximum security penitentiary, just outside of San Francisco, was the second of more than 30 prisons the singer performed at in his lifetime. The concerts were held at various correctional facilities throughout at least 10 states, sometimes at the direct request of the inmates. The shows eventually inspired the recording of two live albums, Johnny Cash at Folsom Prison, released in 1968, 
and Johnny Cash at San Quentin, released in 1969. Although it wasn't recorded, the New Year's concert at San Quentin was historic in its own right, not only for the positive effect it had on Cash's career and public persona, but also for its impact on another country music legend who happened to be in the audience that day. Cash performed at San Quentin for the first time as part of a seven-hour entertainment extravaganza, which the prison held for the inmates on January 1st of each year. Cash's performance was the standout of the 1959 show, beating out other popular acts like a women's dance troupe and a 17-piece jazz band. The prison had its own inmate-published paper called the San Quentin News, and for the January 9th edition, the headline was, quote, Gigantic Review, Herald's New Year, 3,000 San Quentin Men, Cheer Stars, and Johnny Cash. The singer had never been imprisoned himself, except for one night at a time whenever he was arrested for public intoxication. Nonetheless, he felt a special connection or kinship with those behind bars. As Cash's younger brother Tommy later explained, quote, He always identified with the underdog. He identified with the prisoners because many of them had served their sentences and had been rehabilitated in some cases, but were still kept there the rest of their lives. He felt a great empathy with those people. As someone who wrestled with alcohol and substance abuse, Cash empathized with those who had made bad choices or given in to their own worst impulses. His prison concerts, which he always performed for free, were a way to offer comfort and maybe even the hope of finding another, better path for the prisoners' own lives. That turned out to be the case for at least one of the inmates at San Quentin that day the future country music star Merle Haggard. In 1957, Haggard had been arrested for burglary at age 18. He was sentenced to 15 years in prison, but wound up serving a little less than three. Cash's performance occurred about halfway through his stint, and Haggard later cited it as a life-changing moment, one that inspired him to pursue his own career in music. He got to work as soon as he was released on parole in 1960, and eventually he racked up 38 number one hits on the country charts, including songs like Sing Me Back Home and Okie from Muskogee. Years later, Haggard reflected on why Cash had been received so enthusiastically by he and the other inmates. He said, quote, Johnny Cash had the right attitude. He chewed gum, looked arrogant, and flipped the bird to the guards. He did everything the prisoners wanted to do. He was a mean mother from the South, who was there because he loved us. When he walked away, everyone in that place had become a Johnny Cash fan. The two singers reunited in 1969 on an episode of The Johnny Cash Show on ABC. The host mentioned that he didn't remember Merle being part of the concert that day, to which Haggard quipped, well, I was in the audience, Johnny. Cash went on to perform dozens more prison concerts, including at least two more at San Quentin. During each visit, he made time to get to know the inmates. He would sit down with them and listen to their stories, what had led them to be incarcerated, 
and what they hoped to do when, or if, they were released. These stories would later inform Cash's songwriting, which frequently took the perspective of outlaws and outsiders. Following his messy public struggle with drug addiction, the prison concerts and the albums they inspired helped jumpstart Cash's career. But it's clear that the cause always meant far more to him than money. Providing entertainment and a listening ear was already beyond what most prisoners would expect from a celebrity. But Cash didn't stop there. The time he spent within prison walls led him to advocate for the rights of prisoners and to use his power to push for prison reform. He donated a portion of the sales from his live prison albums to reform campaigns, and in 1972, he got involved directly by testifying before Congress about prison conditions. Appearing before the Senate Subcommittee on National Penitentiaries, Cash said, quote, I have seen and heard of things at some of the concerts that would chill the blood of the average citizen. But I think possibly the blood of the average citizen needs to be chilled in order for public apathy and conviction to come about. Because right now, we have 1972 problems and 1872 jails. People have got to care in order for prison reform to come about. Johnny Cash continued to perform at U.S. prisons until at least 1980, and as he grew older, he stayed in touch with prisoners he had met and visited some of the ones who lived near his home in Tennessee. Today, the United States incarcerates more people per capita than any other developed country in the world. As of 2021, the number stands at roughly 2.3 million people in jail which breaks down to 639 out of every 100,000 American citizens. There have been many victories for the cause of prison reform since Cash's New Year's concert at San Quentin, but the rate of incarceration has kept right on growing. Over half a century later, the need for prison reform remains a vital issue. That means that, for better or worse, the music of Johnny Cash and the stories that inspired it are just as relevant now as ever. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you want to keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can always send them my way at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to have supervision, enhanced hearing, extraordinary reflexes, to be, dare we say, superhuman? Well, Roku's new Pro Series TV can't do any of that for you. But with a 4K screen, side-firing speakers, and a blazing fast refresh rate, It'll sure feel like it. Elevate your entertainment using all your favorite apps like iHeart and play all your music, radio, and podcasts with the new Roku Pro Series. Your senses aren't better. Your TV is. 
a collision between a Chinese jet and an American spy plane. He came and rammed into our left wing. With relations increasingly strained, what are the chances of things spinning out of control? The Western world was asleep. I'm Gordon Carrera. I'll be exploring the friction in this most important of relationships and asking, has the West taken its eye off the ball? You cannot ignore China. From BBC Radio 4, this is Shadow War, China and the West. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, guys? This is Sean, Lights Out Merriment, and Saturday, June 15th, Lights Out Extreme Fighting 17 returns to Casino Palma in San Diego. Get your tickets now at LightsOutXF.com, and we'll be live on Lights Out Sports TV, available on all major platforms. Doors open at 5 p.m. Pacific. You don't want to miss this one. It's going to be Lights Out. Lights Out Sports is free sports TV by athletes for fans. For details about the event and tickets, go to LightsOutXF.com.